Hi, this is Baruch Van, and you are listening to JMAP Life Academy. Thank you for joining us for the ninth segment of JMAP Life Academy Season 1, where we will explain why the world to come is the greatest goal that we can have. The greatest goal a person can have. The best goal a person can have. What is it that's so good about the world to come? What is it about the world to come which appeals to our life in this world? Let's give a listen. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to JMAP Life Academy. This is the ninth segment, nine of ten. We are closing in on the end of the first season of JMAP Life Academy. And we are talking about accomplishing important goals. Last week we spoke about the Torah perspective on what the greatest goal, the greatest goal that exists in this world. And it's also the most distant. So let's remind ourselves. The reason this is important information is because your most distant and most important goal, not two different goals, one goal, your one goal which is the most far off from now and the most important needs to be your determining factor in success in everything else you do. Because everything else you do, all your smaller, shorter term goals, your less important and less distant goals, the success of those will be what brings you to the success of your greatest and latest goal. And so that's how you make sure a goal is successful. Accomplishing a goal in the short term, the way you measure whether it was successful is if it feeds you in to the process of achieving your later, more distant and more important goal. So that's why you have to know what's the most distant and most important goal we can achieve. The answer is, last we spoke last week, the Torah's view on this is the world to come. The world to come is the most distant for sure. No arguing with that. By the time you get there, all other goals are either accomplished or are not accomplished. But there's no starting any new goals. There's no finishing any old goals. By the time you get to the world to come, that's like the la- <laughs> literally the last thing we do, you know? <laughs> He's just, he was just a, you know, awesome. He's just awesome. And one time, uh, he asked, at the beginning of a class, he asked the lady who came in dressed immodestly if she could cover up. And he didn't say it. He said it, he said it so freshly that I won't even say it on recording. Like, I, I'm too embarrassed. He wasn't embarrassed of nothing. And he thought it was the right thing to say. And so, and she, she fired back at him. Drop dead, Miller! So he, without even having to pause for thought, said, I assure you, that was the last thing I was planning on doing. Right, because dropping dead is literally... Oh, guys, come on. I guess you had to be there. Amen. I wasn't there, and I got it. Anyways. Yeah, it's the, literally the last thing you do. So there's nothing after that. So the latest goal, definitely it's the latest goal. And last time we spoke about understanding the connection how it's not a complete, diametrically opposed thing to our life. Our life, when you, when, you live, when you live with Hashem, then it leads into the next world, because it's a relationship with Hashem in this world, it's a relationship with Hashem in the next world. It's not a, contradic- a contradiction. Even though now we're, we live in a physical world and we're engaged in a physical world, and then we'll be completely non-physical and engaged in a spiritual experience, but... The, con- the constant is our relationship with Hashem. In everything we do physical, 
we are in a relationship with Hashem, and that relationship is present. And when we get there and we're spiritual, it will still be about our relationship with Hashem. So that's the constant. That's the thing which survives the transition from this world to the next world. We're not just collecting tickets or coins and cashing in at the counter. That's not what we're doing. It's one theme which runs throughout. Okay? Still, the question remains, why is that our most important goal? What's so good about the world to come that it's our most important goal? So before we get to explaining what is so good about it, let's talk about how good it is. Can we measure how good it is? So Rav Dessler writes in one of his books, Zechot Tzadik Kedosh Levacha, that uh, if you want to measure just how good the world to come is, I apologize if I've done this already, but it's worth doing again for this class in this context. If you want to measure how great, how how good, how enjoyable the world to come is, do the following. Consider the greatest moment of pleasure you've ever had. Now, to that moment of pleasure, condense every other moment of pleasure you've ever had from the time you were born until today. And condense it all into that moment. All pleasure. Now, do the same thing from today until the day you die. Condense it all, your entire life, all the pleasure you experience into one moment of pure bliss. Now, add to that all pleasure experienced by everyone alive today in our generation, from the beginning of their lives until the end of their lives. And push it all, squeeze it all into that one blinding moment of pleasure. Now, add to that the pleasure experienced by any human being ever alive from the creation of the world until its end and push it all, condense it all, shove it all into one, one instant of pleasure. He said, that does not describe to you what the pleasure of the world to come is. If you want to compare that to the pleasure of the world to come, I'll tell you a story. When the poor man in the olden days would approach the castle, the palace in in the capital city for some scraps, he would go around the back to the kitchen door. And they would open the door, and if they were generous and kind, they would give him some scraps. But when they opened the door, the smell from the main banquet hall would waft through the air down the hallway out the back door of the kitchen, and the pauper standing at the door would catch a whiff of the banquet. So if Destler says, all that pleasure that we were just talking about, all pushed into that one little moment, would be like a whiff of the world to come coming down through the banquet hall, down the hallway, and out the back door of the kitchen. So that's how good the world to come is. I mean, we're talking, you know, like, brisket times at least, like, four. (laughs) Can't be, right? Can't be. Um, Yeah, times like a thousand and four billion. Times like a thousand and four billion, yeah. Um, that's how great it is. So we have to really, we have to have a, a barometer, we have to have a meter to measure this goodness if we want to, la- you know, if you want to have like a laser focus. Like, what I'm basically saying is you have to get used to the idea that this is what you have to focus on your whole life. I- I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt that since we started the classes about the world to come, everyone's thought about the world to come at least once 
during the week. At least when you sit here in the class, for sure it's on your mind, right? But before we started these classes, not specifically necessarily, not everybody always thinks about the world to come. And yet now I'm saying that in order to max out your success, that needs to be a constant focus. So we really need a metric. We need, like, we need to know like, what field are we studying here, right? What type of pleasure is this? Okay, fine. You told me already that I'm not going to appreciate and understand how great and how immense this pleasure is. But we need something to go on to appreciate what it, to appreciate what it could be, to appreciate what arena we're in. And so we spoke last week, but I'll say it again now because now is where it answers the question. Emotional pain is much worse than emotional pleasure. Sorry, than physical pain. Emotional pain is much worse than physical pain. This is studied, this is documented, there are many proofs. People will cause themselves physical pain in order to distract themselves from emotional pain. People who suffer emotional pain, um, when, they, when, they, uh, when they have an emotionally traumatic experience, it doesn't disappear the way physical pain does. Going through a similar surroundings can cause them to relive their emotional suffering. Um, emotional pain comes with associations of, of the senses. Okay? Um, there's a couple more ways that it's proven that emotional pain, if you ask when, when people, when, when researchers ask people to rate their emotional pain and rate their physical pain, people with physical pain consistently score a lower, lower rating of their pain than people with emotional suffering. So emotional pain is much greater than physical pain. The same is true for pleasure. The same is true for pleasure. Emotional pleasure is much greater than physical pleasure. And this we proved last week. But I'll say it again now in this context. When you have a very pure child, a small child, the one thing which is the most important for them is being with their mother. A one-year-old child, nothing is more important to them than being with their mother. By the time they're two, already, you know, it could be getting a toy from their brother is more important, or it could be getting a candy is more important in certain moments, you know. Hey, they'll always come back to their mother. But a one-year-old child, nothing is ever. They never have a moment of focus on anything but being with their mother. Now, when their mother walks away, it could be they can handle it. It could be they won't be saddened, specifically. But what happens when the mother walks back into the room? Whoever here has a sibling or a nephew or a niece knows that as soon as the mother walks into the room, the child's face lights up. I always call it like a face-breaking grin, you know? Like, literally, the mouth can't get bigger. And you see a level of pleasure on that child's face just from the emotional stimulation of being close with the mother. And that face is almost never replicated again in our lives. Such a rare face. Such a rare face. It's such a rare expression of pure pleasure. No... Food, no drink, nothing gives us that expression of pure enjoyment, like that pleasure of being close with our mother when we're very small. So what did we demonstrate? That the 
first of all, in general, that emotional pleasure is greater than physical pleasure. Second of all, that the emotional pleasure of being close to someone who's important to you is very, very great. Perhaps it's the greatest emotional pleasure. This makes sense to everybody so far? Is this something that, that, that any of you have, this comparison of physical pleasure versus emotional pleasure and satisfaction, something that anybody's thought about before? Something that anybody's kind of honed in on that this is how I want to conduct myself because this is what's important? In what, in, in what, in what terms? Specifically? I don't know. I'll tell you, I, I didn't have this worked out until I approached this topic of why the world to come is such an important thing. And then I did the research and I looked into it. Before that, I didn't have such a thought process. I mean, it could be that I'm just like this cold guy, but, but, but I didn't have like a thought process about emotional pleasure so much. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I didn't, it doesn't mean I was never driven by it. I just, it wasn't, I didn't have it clarified as a thought process. Okay. And then what about physical pleasure? Like, what's like, what's sort of like physical pleasure is seen like as, a, it's like sort of as a, like a contradiction between like emotional pleasure in a way. Why? Because uh, it's like you're fulfilling like an urge in a sense. Uh, it'd be like, be anything. I mean, usually a lot of it leads to something not good. Okay, like I have a theory. Like all, I, these, all these different things. I have a theory. It's usually not the time, not, not for tonight, it's really for the next time. We'll see if we get to it tonight. But I have a theory that goes like this. When you Meaning to say, in the, whole, in, the, in the Holy Jewish books, it says that physical pleasures are a fake. Physical pleasures are a sham. They're not really good. How do you know? Because after they're done, you don't feel, continue to feel good from them. Now, I, had, I struggled with this for a long time. What do you mean? They're as good as they are. Okay, I hear that they're not important. I hear that they're not lasting good. I hear that they're not permanent good. They're not bad. They're as good as they are. You know? I never, like, really... I struggle with this, with this teaching for a long time. Why tell me that they're fake? Tell me that they're not as good. Tell me that they're so not as good that they're irrelevant. Tell me that, that spiritual or emotional pleasure is so much more important that you're wasting your time pursuing physical pleasure because you're missing out on something much better. I hear that. What do you mean that they're fake? I feel like this is something that rabbis teach without understanding sometimes. Because I, didn't, I, I asked, what do you, why, why is it fake? And all they could say was, because it's fake. You know, not, not every rabbi, I'm not trying to down on rabbis, I'm saying, I feel like this is something which is taught very often with a certain confidence that it's true, which we do that because we trust the sources, but not necessarily with a full understanding. Now, I don't have, I'm not, I'm not confident in my answer, but I have a good theory. I have a good theory. The way our senses work is our senses lead into each other. And when one sense leads into the other, as I'll explain in a minute, the, the first sense causes the second sense to have expectations. So for example, if you see a painting of a peach, you'll enjoy the visual, and that's it, because that's all you're expecting. When you see a beautiful peach, the, vision of, the visual of the peach, knowing that there's more to it than sight, causes your sense of taste to develop an expectation. And you can start salivating. Now what happens when you pick up the peach 
and you take, a, and it, you know, like this happens a lot. And it's a really, really nice looking peach and you feel it and it has a great feel, soft, perfect. And you take a bite and it's actually like gritty and sandy and not so sweet, right? It's like a big letdown, even though it's not such an important thing to us. We get over it pretty quickly. But the initial feeling is like, oh, like a punch in the gut. Like, how could you do that to me, peach? I had, I had dreams for you, you know? So my feeling is that when they talk about the lie of physical pleasures, it's because anything that our, our senses perceive as good hypes up our spiritual sensitivities to expect as well spiritual satisfaction. The same way the sight of the peach hypes up your sense of taste, the experience of pleasure, which feels like it's good, hypes up our, our emotions for satisfaction. But it doesn't bring satisfaction. Okay, so that's, I think, that's my theory. That's the lie of physical pleasures. Is it good? No, because the good that it's promising, it can't deliver on. So then, why is it even here? Okay, good question. For sure, this already was off topic. I'm not going to go into that right now. Good question. It, it, it's there as a tool, but we'll get to that. Is it more of a tool or a test? Save it. Save it for Thursday. We'll go right into a lot of depth. A lot of depth, if you want. There's a lot to talk about in that topic. Why, why it's there, how it could be used, how it shouldn't be used, how it's beneficial. It's not only a test, it's a tool. tool. Trust me on that one, it's a tool. You can use it for good. It's not just a test to see if you'll mess up. No, it's a tool. You can use it. You, can, you could utilize it for good things. It's not bad. Okay, sorry, I got distracted there. So, distracted by a good question. It's not a bad thing. Distracted by a good question is not a bad thing. That's why I'll give the time to it. So, the emotional pleasure, the emotional satisfaction that comes from being close and feeling close with someone who's important to you, we know already that that's the greatest thing in the human lifetime that, that we experience. So, when you take, when you consider having that satisfaction, having that feeling of closeness with an even greater person, that feeling could be even greater. If you would consider having it with Hashem, who is so great that we are not able even to describe His greatness, then you can understand that that's the greatest experience, the greatest pleasure that a person can strive for. I feel like this is very simply put. This is a very straightforward equation. Any questions? I have a comment. Yeah. So, why is the physical pleasure limited to the physicality? Why can't there be something like beyond just like eating something good that like adds to your life? Uh, uh, this kind of goes back to what we did last week, meaning we have to be able to, um, I hate English. Uh. The problem is that I, I built a very good vocabulary as a child. And so I'm not going to be satisfied without like the great word, but I have no... I have no handle on the language anymore. 
Um, okay, say the question again. You asked, you asked, if I, if I remember correctly. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Okay, how come our, our physical experiences are limited to physicality? Why can't they add something to our lives? Okay, thank you. So uh, l last week we spoke that it has to be that our goal of attaining the world to come, what we're building in order to experience success in the world to come, what, we're, what, we, we, what we are building has to be cut of the same cloth. It has to be that in our pursuit of the world to come, which is our presence in the physical world and our engagement with the physical world, it has to be that we can embody and, and find and attain whatever it is that we're looking to experience in the world to come. Because it's not like we get tickets for success type A and we can trade those tickets in for success type B. So what we said was that our relationship with Hashem is the constant. But what Jacob's asking brings out a specific, specific angle of this. All of those physical experiences and all those physical interactions, where do they fit in? Where, could it lead to anything good in that context? Like when I sit down to a Shabbat meal with a good, you know, a good challenge, or a good tadig, or let's see, what, what do you guys eat? Okay, when well, you sit down to a, a, a good meal, a good Shabbat meal, and you're not just eating, you're not just enjoying physicality, you're also developing your relationship with Hashem through that means. So is it like, okay, like I found a place for the physical, but it doesn't really contribute to anything, it's just like, a, it's just like a, an empty shell of a tool which allows you to get something else. Or, or does it connect and play in there? Yes, let's let's say that. Bomb food, like if everything is like amazing and like just all the food's just next level, you're gonna have a much better Shabbat than if it's just food. And like the food is really just physical. It's all a physical experience of you eating food. You're talking about the ability of something like food to set a good vibe. Yeah, sure. But rather the enjoyment from your meal to contribute to just like a greater overall experience. Where it's like, <coughs> wow, like it's not just like this food that's fire, it's like I'm having a great time right now. Like at this meal with these people, with this You just, you just, uh, from from what I can understand, you're really kicking the can further down the road, because just like physical pleasure and physical satisfaction is is a tool to use, 
so too, all of those positive experiences that you're describing are really all a tool for different purposes. So the question is really what your ends are. So it's really just moving the question further down. And so here's the answer. When you engage in something which is of this physical world and you enjoy it, let's say it's eating food, let's say it's having a good time with friends in a simply good way, nothing fancy, nothing spiritual, can that contribute to your success? Does that lead you to the next good? Meaning, hey, make sure we stay on topic here and like speak it out well. What we just finished saying is that our relationship with Hashem is the greatest thing we can aspire for. And to achieve our relationship with Hashem in the next world, which is the true place where we can enjoy that, we have to pursue that relationship in this world. Okay. Now I'm going to sidestep your question for a minute and just try to do a little plugging in here. And as we build up the topic, hopefully we'll circle back around. Okay? Okay? So, what do we say? That if you want your goals in the short term to be successful goals, they have to be setting you up for a greater success in the long term. They have to be setting you up for another bigger success. And in order to make sure that you max out in your success, you want to know what is your most distant, most greatest success. So now we've said that that's the world to come. It's definitely your latest. It's definitely nothing after that. And it's also your greatest because it offers the opportunity have a, it offers the enjoyment of having a relationship with Hashem, which is an emotional satisfaction, an emotional pleasure, which is greater than physical pleasure. And it's the greatest emotional pleasure, the greatest emotional satisfaction, because Hashem is simply the greatest. Um, how, do we, how do we pursue our relationship with Hashem in the physical world? That's something we spoke about also. Okay? That's something we spoke about also. We spoke about developing higher capacity. We spoke about giving yourself a stronger context. We spoke about even when you're engaged in physicality to be living with Hashem in that moment and therefore steering that interaction towards furthering your relationship with Him. Either that, if that means following his guidelines of his Torah while you're engaged in that interaction, or if it means literally appreciating his hand in guiding that interaction and, and, and having an awareness of how he's interacting with you in that moment, or whether it means engaging in an activity in order to give you the, the resources you need. Like let's say when, when you go to work, listen, everybody has to go to work. Everybody has to make money. Everybody has to food, put, put food on the table. Everybody has to pay the bills. Is your goal in doing that because you want to have it out of the way so that you can sit on the couch? Or is your goal in doing that so you should have the resources you need to develop your relationship with Hashem? Everyone, anyone know who the Cossacks were? No. Russian, uh... Russian soldiers. The Cossacks were Russian, Russian thugs, basically. And they were known for their... Uh, they were noted for their speed, their strength, their commitment to their mission. And there was a well-known phenomenon that after they retired, they were incredibly lazy. And all they did was sit by the fire and eat and drink. Literally. 
like well known, like a retired Cossack is a worthless lump of nothing. And so somebody once asked the, the Chavetz Chaim, he said, how could it be that so, so much of their life they display such speed and alacrity and devotion to a mission and they move with, with, with energy and then as soon as they retire, it's all gone. And he was asking that because it's rel- meaning as Jews, we want to work on things and there are these phenomena where we can be so capable of performing in one way and then suddenly not. And so the Chavetz Chaim said to him, you don't understand. When you see them running, all those years that they're running, they're running to one place. They're running to the armchair. Everything they do is leading them to their retirement. So it's actually, it's, it's an ironic thing. Their laziness is fueling their energy. Because they know if I get these 20 years out of the way, I can retire. <laughs> so you, don't, you don't get it. They're running to the armchair. He's a great man. You know, very great. But in, but in that moment, just a second, I don't want to lose my chain of thought. Very liable to happen tonight for some reason. So, so um, yeah. So what am I saying now? So when you are engaged in, in making a living, do you want to make a living so that you can sit by the armchair or do you want to make a living so that you can have the resources you need to serve Hashem? You have the resources you need to develop a relationship with Hashem. Have the resources you need to build, um, to build a family or a community towards a relationship with Hashem. Every parent is like, you know, the head of a corporation building a family towards Hashem. Guys, the podcast isn't published yet. You can't possibly be listening to that. I think um, in Queens they have places to leave your phone when you come out the Great Neck. <laughs> you know, this poor kid, he did such a good thing moving out to Queens and it's like better for him. Like I make fun of him night and day. It's just so easy because I hate Queens. <laughs> One of my first experiences in New York was that Queens never ends. You drive down the Van Wick and it just keeps on going. Yeah, if you're on the Van Wick, you're going to have a bad time. Even if there's no traffic, it's just endless. If it was, I don't, I don't, this is a nugget of information. If it was its own city, it would be the fourth largest city in America. Fourth most populated city in America. Yeah. Queens. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's another means, that's another way that when you engage in the physical world, you're, you're building your relationship with Hashem. So the question is what, what Jacob was asking. Is that just like coincidental? Meaning, the steak is good. It tastes delicious. It makes me feel good. Now the vibes are great and I can really enjoy the Shabbat and I can really feel good about having a relationship with Hashem. I can really feel good about my Judaism. Was that just like incidental or does the pleasure of the steak, does that go there? Is that what you're asking? Sure, yeah. I think so. It's the vibe I'm getting. Is that just like incidental? The answer is, I was, the way I was raised was if you want to have your steak with you in the world to come, give it to a poor man. Why? Because physicality doesn't last, but spirituality does. Once you, once you gear something physical towards a spiritual goal, it achieves permanence. And you have that with you forever. And so I think that's the answer. When you, when you take the physical and you elevate it, 
to be spiritual, you elevate it towards a spiritual goal, then to talk in Kabbalistic terms, you burn away the klipa and you elevate the nitzites. Or in English, you, you burn away the peel and you elevate the spark. And that was Kabbalistic terms for anybody interested. So, yeah, you did. You elevated it. And that pleasure was a tool. If the tool of the pleasure is your own enjoyment of that physical pleasure, then that's, it starts and ends there. But if the, if the purpose of you enjoying that physical pleasure was, feeds into your relationship with Hashem, then it wasn't a physical pleasure. It was part of that experience. When you go on a date and you go to a nice place and you get a nice steak, the nice steak, it doesn't even mean the physical pleasure to you. It means the vibe, right? It doesn't mean that to you. That's not what it means to you. The physical pleasure there, it doesn't mean the physical pleasure to you. It means the vibe. That's why you're not going to pick it up with your hand and take a big bite out of it, even though that's a more enjoyable way to eat it, ostensibly. Because right? that's not what it means to you, even though it, does, it is enjoyable. That enjoyment itself means to you the vibe. And so it's the same thing. It's the same thing. When you succeed in elevating something physical to feed into your relationship with Hashem, it doesn't mean the physical experience to you. That physical experience means more to you. It means your relationship with Hashem. This is where like being bad at English is like helping me because like by not pinpointing this with clear language, I think I'm able to make it clear. If I would give this concept clear language, it would be lost. 100%. I had a rabbi like that. He was not a, he didn't have a first language. He grew up in Switzerland and he had seven first languages. And when he was talking to yeshiva guys that we're fluent in English and most of us in Hebrew and in Aramaic and in Yiddish, he, he was not able to keep himself to one language. And, and he was wild. I mean, literally, he would talk in ways that made absolutely no sense. Instead of saying important, he said heavy. And it took me months to figure out what he meant. But in the meantime, that idea, like, you know, rested in my head so much. I got it's, it's so much more of like a vibe way than an intellectual way that like, I really felt it connected to it, you know? Okay. So I think that really um, covers the topic of the world to come for, for a JMAP Life Academy. We know why it connects to our short-term goals. We know how to deal with the fact that it doesn't come naturally, right? Developing your capacity and your surroundings. We know why it's your latest goal. We know it's, why it's your greatest goal. And we understand why it's good. Um, there's an auxiliary topic here, which we spoke about earlier that we were going to talk about, which is how to avoid midlife crisis. Uh, I think we have to save it for next week, but the question is what we're going to do after next week. Um, next week is the last week Next week is the 10th class, not counting the one at the flop on Sukkot. Wow. But that's not including that? Not including that. It's the 11th class if you include that. I'm not including that. Wow. <laughs> so we could continue and talk about more topics. If you want to really do justice to the making money topic, it's going to take at least two, if not three classes beyond that. Why is it a topic? Oh, I'm not talking about that. Actually, I was going to get into that afterwards, but I'm talking about the, cl the class about how to make money, not what to do with your money. Yeah, people got pretty upset when I gave a class about what to do with your money. I guess if I put a poll... If I put a poll in the chat, will people, will people respond? 
Yeah? Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking is after next week, we tally in, we see who's, who's eligible for, for um, the Shabbaton slash stipend, and then we continue with two or three more classes. Obviously optional, but I expect every one of you to want to be there, even though it's optional to want, even though it's optional, but I expect that you're going to want to be there because they're just such great topics. But then after that, when we finish the money topic, so next week will be midlife crisis, okay? And then following that will be the money class, making money, and then following that will be the money class, um, how your wealth ties back into the topic of goal setting. And then after that, we'll take a break for a week or two and see what everybody wants to do beyond that into the winter. Okay, thank you for joining us tonight at JMAP Life Academy. Hope to see you all next week. Thank you for listening to JMAP Life Academy segment number nine, The Greatest Goal. Please join us next week as we explore the Jewish Torah approach to avoiding midlife crisis.